Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. I'm Mary Kilpatrick. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And as always, thanks for listening. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for helping us put this podcast together by giving us both the rooms and the equipment to uh, make this work. We really appreciate working with them. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting service. We're on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, just about anywhere you can imagine. And when you do that, be sure to rate and review us. It helps others find this podcast, and we'd like to get as many people listening to this as possible. And as always, if you have any feedback, be sure and send it my way. You can send it to my email. It's srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. This week on Ohio Matters, State Representative Kathleen Clyde. Now, guys, why did we have Kathleen Clyde on this week? We had Kathleen Clyde on this week because she is running for Secretary of State as a Democrat. And uh, what did you guys talk about? So... Kathleen Clyde describes the position of Secretary of State, Ohio Secretary of State, as her dream job. And out of anybody else's mouth, that would probably sound like eh, maybe, maybe not, you know, kind of inauthentic. For Kathleen Clyde, it is, I think, very, very authentic and real. She has been interested in elections um, pretty much her entire career. Um, and her enthusiasm for the elections process is is really obvious and you know it's not some of these issues aren't things that you and I would get really pumped about but she's jazzed about it I have to say I've been pretty excited for uh, not only this one but last week we had Frank LaRose on last week Kathleen Clyde on this week of course both running for Secretary of State and uh, both of these politicians are uh, far more interesting than their status might actually let on to begin with. Um, you know, they're not running for the most high-profile race out there, but uh, I, I do find both of them just incredibly interesting. Kathleen Clyde is a relatively young politician. She is a woman running on the statewide ticket, and there are very few of those. Um, I believe Betty Sutton is the only other woman um, running for um, lieutenant governor. Um, in, the, in the Supreme Court candidates that we always forget about. And the Supreme Court candidates. Um, But yeah, she is young. She's enthusiastic. I think she will be a player in Ohio politics for, um, you know, a long time. She's one of those people who was valedictorian of her high school. She was the editor of the Law Review in college. And so she's just like overachiever, um, very serious about the work that she does. And so I, I think we all went to high school with somebody like that, you know. So but she's... There's different archetypes of elected officials, and she's kind of like the civics class hero kind of type, in my opinion. She's very polished, but she's also very warm and personable. Um, Sometimes when you sit down with people who have, you know, really extensive resumes and have done a lot with their career, you know, you expect a a certain thing. But Kathleen is very warm, very genuine, um, very uh, easy to talk to. So if you're wondering what happened to your class valedictorian, they may be running for Secretary of State. Go ahead and check. And uh, with that, let's go ahead and get to the interview with Kathleen Clyde. And we're joined today by Kathleen Clyde. Kathleen, thanks so much for taking the time. Very glad to be here with you guys. So we're hoping to learn a little bit more about how you grew up. I understand you grew up in Garrettsville, Ohio. What was it like growing up in small town Northeast Ohio? Small town Ohio is right. I usually like to describe Garrettsville as having one stoplight and a lot of heart. Uh, it is, it's in Northeast Ohio, so not too, too far away from Cleveland, but 
It was a great place to grow up. You know, I got to go to public school, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade with the same group of about 100 kids. It was like family. Uh, I got to do a lot of things when I was in school. I was an athlete. I was involved in drama and band. And uh, it was just kind of an all-American, all-Ohio experience. And I still keep that with me today of of that small town, tight-knit community and how communities can work together to to help people. For somebody who's never been to Garrettsville before, what can you tell us about Garrettsville? Garrettsville, uh, it's the Fighting G-Men was our mascot. Like the FBI, I guess? Yes, right. yes. That was, there was the, one of the last great train robberies was in Garrettsville. Uh, it has a pretty sweet Dairy Queen there. Uh, it's been rated one of the best in the entire country because uh, they have a lot of antique cars, uh, model cars on display, and it is definitely a gathering place uh, in our town. Uh, and, you know, we did recently have a, a, a tragedy there with the historic downtown Main Street partly catching on fire. So, that was an interesting story of fire departments coming from all over and helping to put that out so it didn't destroy the whole downtown. Uh, and it, it was interesting to see the coming together there and uh, the work done by our first responders uh, from all over the region. And I think that was kind of the last big news story involving Garrettsville. And I can tell you there's you know, just a lot of good people there. And again, uh, it was a, a good place to, to grow up and call home for quite a long time. So I know that you mentioned you were in drama and you were also in the band. Um, we understand you were a trumpet player. So were you a little bit of a band geek? Or? <laughs> well, my dad played trumpet, my brother played trumpet. So I got that idea in my head. And band was, a we had a great a great teacher uh it it was something I enjoyed a lot and you know Friday night football it's pretty big in a small town it's really big everywhere in Ohio I would say in the Midwest but it was fun to do that for um a number of years and I think music is is a good thing for for everyone to experience at some point in their lifetime and that was my music peak, I would say. I, I have not kept up with that, but it so was... So you no longer play? No longer play, unfortunately, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. So um, the other thing we want to clear up, despite what everyone may think, you were not a basketball player <laughs> um, due to your height. You're over six feet, right? Yeah, I'm six one. Right, right. So you ran track. What events did you run? I ran track starting in middle school and on through college. Uh, I was a high jumper, no no big surprise. That was probably my best event. Uh, But I also did the 400, the 800. I had the high school record in the 4 by 200, which is usually you don't see sprinters being as tall as I am. But uh, I did a little bit of everything kind of in that why isn't this on your uh, campaign website like (laughs) it's very funny when I first ran for state representative we did have that I was an all Portage County uh, (laughs) athlete because I came from a tiny town in Portage County so I wanted to make sure 
people knew I I was from there. It was, you right. know, that that it wasn't that I uh, just moved from somewhere else to to run for office. Right. Born and raised. So the other thing we want to ask you, I understand your dad was involved in government um, and worked in legal aid. Um, Apparently, he eventually was the executive director of the Ohio Legal Assistance Foundation and helped fight plant closings in Mahoning Valley. Um, What impact, if any, did his work have on you? Well, both of my parents had a big impact on me growing up. One of the reasons that they moved to Garrettsville in the first place was that my dad uh, worked at Legal Aid in Youngstown, uh, and my mom was a secretary in downtown Cleveland and would take, at the time, there was a passenger train that went from Garrettsville right into the Terminal Tower. So they moved to Garrettsville because it was right right in the middle, uh, and it was... You know, it was a, I think, real Ohio middle class uh, upbringing. But, you know, my dad did the kind of law that helped people that uh, fought for uh, the underprivileged and tried to create access to justice for people who are, you know, the courtroom doors are shut on because they can't afford an attorney. So that made a big impact on me. And so did. So did my mom. Uh, eventually, my parents uh, split up. Uh, my mom kept us in the house in Garrettsville and commuted into Cleveland, uh, and then later on into Solon, uh, trying to, you know, do it on her own. She didn't have a uh, college degree at the time, so she did weekend college at Hiram College, which is right next to Garrettsville. Go Terriers! <laughs> Go Terriers! That's right, uh, and. You know, I feel like I had a pretty typical background for a small town kid in Ohio, and my parents really, you know, had a lot of influence on me and were were great role models for me and what I'm doing now. Were those social justice type issues things that you thought about growing up or talked about as a family? They were. They definitely were. I mean, my dad wanted me to understand from a young age about you know people who didn't have as it as easy as we did or uh, who may be you know down on their luck or you know born into a situation that they didn't have control of and you know that was a part of their parenting of me uh, growing up and also the one bad thing about a small town is it's it's not very diverse so one of the things that you know they worked to instill in me was the value of uh, diversity and learning from other communities, uh, such as those that you would really find more in, in Youngstown or in Cleveland. Uh, I will also say my mom, again, too, was, was a big influence. She ran for village council when I was uh, in my, I think, late teens, early 20s. So seeing her, you know, raise us, work so hard to, you know, keep us in our house in Garrettsville to get her degree over the weekends, uh, and then run for office herself to serve her community made an impact on me and, you know, kind of made me think of that being an option for uh, a woman to, to serve. So was that your first experience with a campaign, with an election, with your mom? 
I will say that, yes, uh, that was probably the first campaign I ever worked on was helping get her elected uh, to the village council and knocking on the doors and in my community and helping her plan her campaign, design her logo, et cetera. I mean, it was it it was my earliest campaign experience and definitely a fun one. So after high school, you um, went to College Out of State. You attended um, Wesleyan University and graduated with a degree in English Lit. Um, I am also an English major, and it is certainly not the most employable um, (laughs) major. Um, I'm just curious, uh, did you always like to read? Why decide to be an English major? Being an English major was, to me, the coolest thing. You get to read a lot of novels uh, and write papers. You don't have to take a lot of exams. I'm not a, a big fan of, of tests. So it seemed too good to be true uh, to get to do that in a very pretty setting in New England at, at a, a school like Wesleyan. So it was a great major. And I think English is an underrated major. I think that I it, do too. <laughs> it gives you a lot. It does. It helps you be a better writer. It helps you, you know, read and analyze material and it just helps with critical thinking all of which are pretty important no matter what field you go into absolutely and I'm just curious do you have a favorite British novelist or were you more into poetry I was into poetry uh, and I was more into American literature Mm -hmm. and I wish I had branched out a little bit more but at the time I was pretty into uh, books like The Great Gatsby Mm -hmm. Uh, Grapes of Wrath, uh, some of those, you know, seminal novels about the American experience. And I did like poetry, too. I focused on uh, Adrienne Rich and her poetry uh, as I was doing my senior uh, thesis project. And that was something I hadn't done much of until I got to Wesleyan, but Uh, enjoyed getting to do that and really learned a lot. So obviously you went to college out of state, but decided to come back home to Ohio to attend law school. Um, Why attend OSU? Why come home? That's a good question. I liked getting away to go to college. You know, to me, it was kind of, I wanted to see more things and experience, uh, you know, different people from different parts in the country. And I certainly got that at Wesleyan. But I decided to come home. Uh, I didn't go right to law school. I worked for an organization that uh, works with the homeless in central Ohio. I had interned there over the summer when I was a college student, and I spent two years working there uh, when I moved back home. So that was good, but while I was at the community shelter board, I saw that there were elected leaders that really cared about social justice and uh, people in poverty and, you know, in a housing crisis, and there were leaders who didn't. And that's kind of what started me with the political bug. I started volunteering for candidates uh, that, you know, I thought were really making a difference on issues that I cared about, like affordable housing and ending homelessness and, you know, caring about everyone in the community. So you obviously took some time before you went to law school. Obviously, it's a 
from everything that I've heard, going to law school is not the most fun experience. <laughs> um, why'd you decide to pursue law? Well, that's an interesting question too. And it's funny, I, as we said, I was an English major and there were two things I said I would never do, uh, be a lawyer like my dad and be an English major like my mom. And I turned out <laughs> to be both. Uh, so that rebelling didn't last long. Uh, I actually went to law school. I applied to law school, and then the 2004 election was coming, uh, and I decided to to defer for a year uh, so that I could work on the presidential campaign and then enter law school, because I just wasn't quite sure it was what I wanted to do. So... After working on the 2004 election, I really saw a lot of uh, problems with our voting system in Ohio uh, that I wanted to fix, that I wanted to be part of uh, a solution. And one of the great things about Ohio State, there's a lot of them, but one of them is that there is an election law center at Ohio State uh, where I could work with those national experts and learn more about uh, voting rights, election law, fixing campaign finance issues, uh, fixing our redistricting process. Uh, so, you know, I kind of wasn't sure. I deferred for a year, and then I was really ready to go and 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 learn and kind of focus in on that election law area as as a student. And it was great experience. I loved going to. Buckeye football games each year with my student tickets uh, and also just getting to, you know, do do work with some of the experts in the country. So we wanted to ask you a little bit about that 2004 um, campaign experience that you had. Um, John Kerry was running, and I believe that 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 was the year where the lines were really, really long to vote um, in Ohio. Did that have any sort of impact on you as a uh, you know, someone who's interested in elections and elections law? Yeah, it absolutely did. And I would say that that was kind of the formative or, you know, whatever you call it, the the issue that really deeply affected me and bothered me about people's access to their democracy. And it, it started before those long lines. My job in that election was I I was the student coordinator for the Kerry campaign in Ohio, and we experienced problems registering students to vote. This was the year of Ken Blackwell and him throwing out thousands of voter registrations because they weren't on a heavy enough weight of paper. Uh, We had problems on campuses where out-of-state students were being intimidated from registering to vote here in Ohio, even though it's very clear that it is their right uh, to participate where they're attending uh, college. And then, you know, election day itself. I was a Columbus resident then. I waited in line for about three hours to vote. uh, And, you know, we saw incredibly long lines mainly in our urban areas around the state. It was a rainy day. It was a cold day. You know, seeing people wait in line for hours in the rain definitely had an impact on me. And it's funny, the last person to vote in the entire country 
that year was a Kenyan college student who had waited in line uh, for, I believe, over 10 hours because they only had two voting machines in their precinct, and both of them went down for most of the day. So as, a, as polls closed, there was this huge group of Kenyan students in line uh, to vote, and I had contact with them because they were people I had been working with as a student organizer. And the last person voted, it was a little bit after 3 a.m., I believe, and to me that no one should have an experience like that when they are uh, trying to participate, trying to use their voice. And that really uh, was what spurred this uh, deep interest in fixing these voting right problems that we were having in our state. Yeah, I think, Andrew, you mentioned that was your first election that you voted in. How long did you wait? Oh, well, I lived in Lexington, and I think, you know, it was like a small town in Richland County. So I'm pretty sure I just rolled up and voted and left. But, you know, that's, I guess, the benefits of voting in a small town as opposed to, like, some of the more urban areas you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And that was a good, you know, it was was not like that in all parts of the country. Ohio was sort of the black eye of the country as far as – you know, our election system really breaking down. And again, I just never wanted to see anything like that again. Uh, but I'm glad it, glad you didn't have that experience because you don't want to have an experience like that, especially when it's your first time voting. I don't think it encourages people to, to, to participate when they think they're going to have to wait in a 10-hour long line like those Kenyan college students. I can't imagine you like waiting three hours to vote. You are like miss elections. You love (laughs) elections. You must have been going crazy. Well, at the time, I really wished I had something to read. (laughs) (laughs) I was really concerned thinking about I should be out there campaigning. You know, we have a lot of work to do today, but I certainly had to, to vote in the election. So I just, you know, remember being pretty frustrated and thinking, let's fix this somehow. Right, right. So I know that you mentioned you um, worked or um, were a student researcher at OSU's Election Law Center, and you also went to study election law at NYU for a summer in law school, right? Yes, at the Brennan Center for Justice, which does uh, research and impact litigation around the country and also just advocacy for Uh, different voting rights issues. So I guess my question is, I mean, after you graduated law school, you could have very easily gone on to become, you know, an election law attorney and and practice law. But, you know, that wasn't necessarily the the path that you took. You started working at the State House, I believe. Yeah, well, it's funny. Right after uh, graduation, I studied for the bar and took the bar exam. And that's usually at the very end of July, And at that point, I called up uh, the Obama campaign and said, I won't know my bar results until Halloween. Uh, What what can I do? Where can you use me? Uh, I want to be involved in this 2008 presidential election. They asked me to help set up and run the Early Vote Center in Franklin County, which that was my first job out of law school and it was me and Ken Blackwell's former chief counsel as the Republican director and it was such a good experience to uh, get to really be an election official get a crash course I was there 
all 35 days of the early voting period. And we had over 60,000 people cast their early vote with us. So I really got to experience all the different, you know, dealing with provisional ballots, dealing with voter registration, helping people through the voting process. Uh, and that was a great experience. And then I went to the state house and I was there for a year before I uh, moved back home to my hometown and, and ran for the state house. So I guess, I mean, that hands-on crash course experience, I mean, what did you take away from it? I mean, being on the ground, running, you know, early voting. Well, one of the problems that we experienced and is still happening now, unfortunately, is the long lines that we had for the early voting uh, as we got close to Election Day. And that has stayed with me, seeing people wait, you know, we would we had people that were working the line to make sure you know, people needed to sit down. Um, you know, that, that has stayed with me. And it also, how much people want to vote. I mean, it's, it's like they, they were willing. It's easier when they could plan for it rather than it just being on a Tuesday. But, you know, I really do believe in the people of Ohio and their desire to participate and I want to, you know, do everything I can to make that more accessible. Uh, right now in Ohio, we're only allowed to have one early voting location per county. So in a lot of counties, that's no problem. I mean, we have counties with 15,000 people, uh, but we have counties with over a million people. And for counties like Cuyahoga and Franklin, where I was working, it's creating these long lines that we need to we need to address, and I want to still want to be part of fixing that. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for Statehouse happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting capital letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit cleveland.com slash capital letter. That's cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. So as we all know, the Secretary of State oversees elections, and Kathleen Clad wants to be Secretary of State. So does she love elections as much as she says? So we've talked about this. Well, Mary, you have a quick answer. Yes. So, yes. People who run for stuff, I think sometimes they sort of try to retrofit a reason to run for it. We kind of talked about that a little bit with Frank LaRose. I'm not saying that's true of him. It's just kind of a discussion that we had briefly. But uh, with her, she studied election law. Her first job was volunteering on a campaign, and then she got hired after law school to run an election center. She uh, did election law research uh, at a couple different places in school. So she's like hyper-focused. She's an elections person. She talked about um, an experience that she had when she was working on John Kerry's presidential run in 2004. Um, And I don't know whether or not you guys were voting then. I actually wasn't. But if you were a voter in 2004, um, the lines in Ohio were horrendous in some places. They were really, really long. And that had a huge impact on her. She also talked about the difficulties she had that year um, working on the campaign and trying to get people registered to vote. It was difficult. 
Um, and I think that experience, um, watching people who wanted to vote um, have troubles or, you know, difficulties doing that had a real influence on her. And so when she talks about elections issues, like she is smiling, like she is excited, like probably like whenever we hit on elections in, uh, stuff in this interview, like that was when she was most animated and excited. Uh, elections aren't the most sexy topic. Uh, you know, it's like, hey, I want to tell you, talk to you today about how to vote. But you, you can tell that it is really something that she's passionate about. And I think like that actually both of the candidates in this race especially have good stories to tell about why they're interested in elections. So that's not, like I said, at the very beginning of this, not always the case when you have, you know, people running for these types of offices. Yeah, I don't think either of these candidates were like pigeonholed into running for secretary of state because they want to run for um, a bigger office somewhere down the line. Not that either of these people don't have um, ambitions in the future beyond this office. Um, but I think that they are both really focused and excited about the potential to, to become Secretary of State. And I don't think that this was something that, you know, was suggested to them, you know, as an option to become a statewide office holder or voiced upon them as a way for them to get ahead in politics. Mary, do you think I voted in 2004? No, Seth. I know your birthday. You didn't. Oh, okay. Did you vote in 2004? I did. Really? Yeah. I was 18. Oh, man. I just want to clear it up. I do vote. I believe voting is important. However, I was 13 in 2004, um, and I also lived in Texas. So You just made a lot of our... I think we all did actually made a lot of our audience members kind of <laughs> older audience members a little sad i'm sorry for what it's worth andrew is the geezer of this show so uh that was the first year 2004 that i sort of tuned into politics and was aware um so i i was politically aware if i could have voted that year i would have but i was disenfranchised due to my age maybe, maybe the secretary of state candidates will will do something about future 13 year old woke marys yeah like you know 13 year olds have opinions with that let's get to the interview with kathleen klein so what made you decide to run for office then? Well, part of it was all of this. You know, it was getting to, to see these voting problems, to work on them in law school, uh, to be an election official, uh, to be part of an effort to pass some reforms when I worked in the state house for a year. Uh, and then my uh, the legislator from my hometown was term limited and she and I had long conversations about uh, you know returning home and running for the seat she was looking for a candidate it's a tough district it's it's a swing district there are very few of those in Ohio right now but this was one of them and she wanted to make sure that we kept the seat and she wanted to recruit a woman to to run for the seat uh, and I was honored to to have that sort of entry into the political, you know, running for office experience. And I moved home and ran for a seat. And, you know, eight, eight years later, here I am. So what was it like being a, a House staffer and then coming back to the state house and actually starting to be people's bosses then? <laughs> I, I will say one thing that was hard is that when I was a staffer, we, the Democrats were in the majority. So I saw all the you know, opportunities that there were to um, 
you know, to have a strong voice and to make policy changes. And when I came back, a lot of people had lost their seats that I had worked with uh, in the state house. And, you know, we lost the majority in that year. I won, but so, so many of my friends lost their races. And that was kind of the, the tough part, I would say, about the transition from staff to being a, being a elected official myself. I was only in the state house for a year. So I, I view it as more, it was kind of a crash course that was helpful to me as a you know, first term legislator, knowing, knowing where things were, knowing how things worked. Uh, it, it was an advantage in that way, but there were definitely some, you know, some downsides to get used to. So uh, the Democrats have been in the minority since then, so pretty much your entire tenure. So how do you uh, remain effective as an elected official when you really don't have the ability to carry legislation, or at least it's, it's challenging? It is a tough part of uh, the legislative process, uh, especially with the districts gerrymandered as badly as these are. I mean, I've just really had a front row seat to seeing uh, the negative effect of a broken redistricting system. Uh, I have still had a lot of ways to make an impact despite uh, being in the minority. I've had a real focus in my office on constituent services and making sure that we are as helpful to the residents of the district and uh, the small businesses in the district. Uh, Kent State University, one of the largest universities in Ohio, is in Portage County. So there were a lot of opportunities to help sort of ease the path on you know, how to navigate state government, how to get help with certain issues. And you know, we really worked hard to to be responsive and and helpful to all our our constituents. I also have, you know, in some ways, the role of the minority too is to is to fight back on some of these uh, issues that have been uh, the more controversial ones that have been part of the legislature, the budgets that have made devastating cuts to school districts in Ohio and uh, to our local communities. Uh, Some of the voting bills that have passed that have uh, restricted voting in some way, uh, attacks on women's reproductive health care. I'm glad that I have the opportunity to be a voice and to make sure that Ohioans, you know, know about these issues and know how important their state government is in their daily lives. Uh, and finally, I found ways to to get things into law that uh, were important policy changes and helpful to uh, economic development and to the citizens of my district. And I'm proud of that. And there's still a lot lot you can do when you're in the minority. So is it the 75th district? Do I have the number right? Yeah, it started as the 68th district in my uh, first term and then switched to the fighting 75th district. But yes, you got it right. So what can you tell us about it? 
It's a great district. I mean, I feel like everyone probably says their district is the best district, and I'm right in there. Uh, it's, you know, Garrettsville actually was part of the district when I first ran and then was gerrymandered out of my district. So that that was kind of a bummer, but uh, I got to meet new constituents, and uh, I still, of course, am very close to the people in, in my hometown. But Kent has undergone a lot of redevelopment uh, since I first took office. Uh, there's been a lot of economic development downtown, new buildings, new businesses, a new hotel and conference center. Uh, you know, Kent State goes back and forth between, between being the second largest public university in Ohio or the third largest. Uh, so that's quite an opportunity uh, to, to work with them and to represent a district where higher education is, is such an important part of the economy and uh, the residents who live there. And I also have Neomed in my district, the public medical college uh, that is doing great things, uh, you know, graduating students and trying to get them to stay in Ohio and to go into fields that like primary care where we, we need, uh, we need healthcare professionals. So it's, it's a very cool district, and uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to, to, to represent those folks. And it's really, I think, a microcosm of Ohio. I have a college town. I have the county seat with the courthouse and the economy that kind of goes around that. And then I have very rural uh, parts of my district, like where I grew up uh, and where the issues are a little bit different. Uh, and I have Camp Ravenna in my district, a, a large facility, uh, training facility for the Ohio National Guard. So it's a it's a cool experience to to get to represent you know such a you know different types of of what we see in Ohio. And I live in Kent now, and I love Kent, and would love to take anyone who's interested in visiting, you know, through through a day in Kent. It's, it's a great little city. So Trump won your district in 2016, right? Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, the district is a swing district. Uh, Barack Obama won the district twice. Uh, John Kasich won the district twice. And Donald Trump won the district. And you were reelected all those years, too. Yeah, yes, yes. Uh, you know, Donald Trump won my district by about five points. I won it by 10 points. And, you know, it's it's a microcosm of of the state, I think, and our our status as a big swing state. Uh, it's been important to me as a candidate and as an elected official to make sure I'm representing everybody. Uh, when I campaign, I am a Democrat, uh, but when I am serving, you know, I serve Republicans, independents, and Democrats. And I think that my record of doing that is, is part of why I have been successful in uh, winning in a swing district, even in some tough years for Democrats, because we have to do more of that. We have to be reaching across the aisle, working with uh, moderate Republicans uh, and independents, or I wouldn't be in elected office here today. So you mentioned earlier that you felt like part of your role as a minority legislator was to kind of push back on controversial issues. Do you talk about controversial issues differently, just considering the makeup of your constituency, or how do you uh, achieve that balance? 
Well, I think that the issues are controversial in the legislature because of how the districts are drawn to kind of push people to the extremes. Uh, But what I find in my district is it's not a lot of extremes. It's a lot of people who view themselves as independents or moderate Democrats, moderate Republicans. So I want to make sure they know about some of these extreme policies coming out of their state house, how many cuts have been made to the public school districts in uh, Portage County and how much they're losing to uh, failing for-profit charter schools like ECOT. I mean, it's, it's had a devastating effect. And talking about those issues isn't controversial when I'm talking about it in Ravenna or uh, Streetsboro, uh, two cities in my district. But it, it was a tough fight. Uh, when we were battling those issues on the floor of the House. So then there's like uh, abortion access and reproductive health care and stuff like that that kind of gets under the blanket of social issues. So how do you address that, I guess, without like turning off people who might not agree with you? Well, there will be people that uh, don't agree with me on some issues. And hopefully we agree on more issues than we disagree on is how uh, I try to view issues that maybe labeled more controversial. But I know that a majority of Ohioans uh, stand by a woman's right to make her own health care decisions. And the same is so in my district. And you know, efforts to attack Planned Parenthood are not supported by a majority of Ohioans. They're not supported by a majority of the people in my district. So, you know, I feel... It's, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's my beliefs. It is in line with a majority of of where Ohioans are. And, you know, I'm going to fight for those issues. Uh, You know, when I'm in office uh, and when they're under attack like they have been. So we were talking about this kind of while we're preparing for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see people who run for down ticket races in Ohio and you kind of feel like there's a, okay, who's going to run for this? Like, who's going to run for that? How can we figure this out? Um, In your case, it looks like your career pretty much was, um, you've always been interested in elections. And it's very obvious that that's kind of like uh, in line with your experiences and your interests for a long time. Uh, When did you know that you wanted to run for Secretary of State someday? It's funny, I never thought, I didn't know I would run for office until, you know, a little bit before. It wasn't like I grew up as a little girl and said, I want to run for office someday. Uh, But Secretary of State truly is my dream job at this point with, you know, all of the work and passion that I have for Uh, voting and protecting voting rights, making sure that our voting system is secure, working to get uh, dark money out of our political system. I mean, these are issues I've fought for, uh, worked on, uh, and experienced for a long time. I would say that uh, as you are getting closer to the end of your term limits in office, uh, you start to think about uh, what you may do next. And, you know, I really saw a potential path 
for me to do this. And I also felt that I had uh, a great set of experiences to bring to the office. So I would say in the last couple years, this is uh, something that I really thought I might have a chance to do. And I worked hard to to build, uh, you know, the, the the immense amount of contacts and you know resources and relationships you need to have to run statewide in Ohio. And I'm glad I did, and I am so incredibly honored to have the opportunity at my age to run for my dream job and to have a ticket that I'm on like we have. It's 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 kind of unbelievable to me, but. Uh, incredible at the same time. So before we move on and talk about your race a little bit more, uh, you you are a woman in the Ohio State House with status. You know, you're obviously you're an elected official, and you also were a rank and file employee before you uh, ran for office. Uh, what did you think about all the sexual harassment stories that came out? You know, over the course of the last year, and how, how did that compare to sort of your experiences, sort of being in different you know capacities down there? It's troubling. I think that uh, this is what happens when uh, you have such a male-dominated legislature and government, and it has been frustrating to see how this, you know, that there are women that are experiencing uh, harassment in the state house. Uh, the response to it has not been very strong uh, from the leaders in the state house. And what I hope to be a part of is a wave of women around the country who are running for offices, whether it be Secretary of State, whether it be state representative, uh, you know, whether it be, you know, a township trustee. We need to see more women in elected office, and I think that in Ohio, especially, our numbers are are low in our state house. And if we can get more women there, I think we would see a more uh, balanced group, and you would see a lot less of these problems that uh, the state house is currently experiencing. There's been a lot of talk about this wave of women running sort of in the wake of Me Too and the wake of, you know, Hillary Clinton's defeat. Um, But, you know, nobody has we've gone through primaries, but, you know, it's not Election Day yet. We don't know whether or not this wave of women is actually going to get elected. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, whether or not you think that this is real, whether or not we're actually going to see more women elected come November and, and in elected office? I do think that you know not all of these women candidates are going to win, but I think a number of them will, and I think our numbers are going to improve. And I think that the momentum hopefully will continue for uh, women. As you see more women running and winning, it I think it inspires other women to consider running themselves and they can picture themselves in those offices when they see that there are women who are serving. So, you know, I'm hopeful for 2018 and, you know, I'm proud to be a statewide candidate. That's a woman. And I think you are the only statewide candidate, um, who's female. Yeah, we do have, um, 
Betty Sutton, who oh, right. is a, a great candidate, and we have uh, Supreme Court justice uh, candidates who are women. But yes, I wish I wish it were uh, more even, and there were more women running statewide. But I hope to, you know, win this office and start to work to change that and to see more women get into Ohio government at all levels. What thoughts or critique would you have of the Ohio Democratic Party um, promoting women? Have they done a good job, you know, asking women to run for office and encouraging women to run for office? Um, What more should, you know, they be doing? We should always be doing more when you see, you know, the numbers and they're, they're not reflective of the electorate in Ohio. I think the Ohio Democratic Party is working hard to recruit good candidates. Uh, they are working to recruit women candidates. We see a number of them in our uh, congressional races, in our state house races, uh, but, but we need to be doing more. And that's something I hope to, you know, as a state representative, I've worked hard to do that. I'm excited that I recruited a a strong woman candidate to take over my seat, uh, hopefully. And that's how I've always been. I like to work with women candidates and uh, newly elected women office holders. And I think I'll have more ability to do that from a statewide position uh, to really push that in the party and uh, continue to, to do that work myself. We talked about the Secretary of State's race not being necessarily the sexiest. Uh, did, did you guys lay out any of the differences, or did she lay out any of the differences between her and her opponent? He didn't actually come up, and you know we've had some other people on this podcast like to mention and kind of call out to their opponent. She didn't mention him directly, but there there is a pretty major area that they disagree on. She did not talk about her opponent once on this podcast. Um, and I, I'm like going back, if you guys listen to the Frank LaRose podcast, I think we asked him a question directly. Um, we asked of, him what was in the water in Northeast yeah, Ohio. Yeah, we should have asked Kathleen Clyde that too. Mm. Um, but I think there are some definitive policy differences between the two. Um, however, they are kind of like wonky. So the Supreme Court um, a few weeks ago ruled that the way that Ohio um, updates its voter rolls um, is okay, which basically means that if you miss a few elections, you could be purged from the voter rolls. Um, Kathleen Clyde totally disagrees with this policy, and if she was elected, she would get rid of it. Um, I am pretty sure that Frank LaRose is in support of this. Um, Kathleen Clyde is also a huge proponent of automatic voter registration, um, I do not think that Frank LaRose is on board with that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's the kind of stuff where we, we, we discussed a little bit, like how much do regular voters sit around and think about the policies of the secretary of state's office. But, you know, I mean, it is important. It affects a lot of people. And we, I guess we got into it with both of them. With that, let's listen to the rest of the interview with Kathleen Clyde. 
So we were kind of talking about your history and your professional career with or uh, involvement with elections and stuff like that. So I think we have a good sense of why you're running for the office that you're running for. But what, what do you see as the key issues in this race? I think the key issues are fair and secure elections, fair districts, and you know, improve, improving the situation in our state house and with our congressional delegation ending the gerrymandering and then finally uh, making it easy to start a business in our state our economy is has certainly improved but we are lagging in uh, you know the growth that other states are experiencing whether it be the number of jobs or uh, the income levels so anything i can do uh, as a secretary of state on the small business side of what the office does I'm excited to to have that involvement. So I think those are kind of the three key issues. Uh, again, fair and secure elections, making it easy to start a business, and bringing fair districts to our state finally. So o- over the years, there have been a lot of reforms to try to increase voter turnout. You know, actually, I just was doing research for a story I was working on about the Motor Voter Act in 1993. Um, You know, you've seen the expansion of early voting where you have actual early voting centers where people go in person and vote in Ohio. But voter turnout just kind of seems to continually be on the way down unless it's like a presidential year. Uh, So why do you think that turnout uh, has not improved despite all these efforts? And what do you think can be done to try to address that? Great question. And I'm really glad to get the opportunity to talk about this. I will say that... uh, I've heard a a lot of talk about how we have all this early voting in Ohio, uh, but we haven't seen voter turnout improve. Well, the reason that early voting came to be in Ohio was because of the long lines that we experienced in 2004. And to give Ohioans more opportunities to vote uh, so that it would put less pressure on election day and that has succeeded in a lot of ways. So I am glad we have those early voting days because it has cut down on the long lines that we're experiencing. Now we still need to look at this problem with the early voting lines, uh, but we don't see what we saw in 2004, people waiting uh, two, four, five hours in line to vote. Now what we could do that would improve uh, our voter turnout often has to do with the voter registration uh, policies that a state has. Ohio, uh, you know, has some outdated voter registration laws. One of them is the 30-day cutoff from uh, registering to vote to Election Day itself. And many states have shorter deadlines. 30 days is the longest we're allowed to have under federal law. But most states have something shorter, uh, maybe 10 days, uh, six days, or they have same-day voter registration. Those states have higher voter turnout uh, than Ohio does. So one of the ways I think we should work to get there is this uh, somewhat new policy, but now over half of Americans live in states that have automatic voter registration. I really think that is the way to go. It Uh, will help eliminate this step of getting people uh, registered and then working to turn them out to vote. And we can 
focus on getting people involved and and you know encouraging uh, people to vote and automatic voter registration will help keep our rolls more up to date it's more cost effective uh, it it has so many advantages plus it, it should increase voter turnout in the state that's really my goal to streamline the process to modernize our system and to see our elections uh, be more accessible and have more people participating so you know some reforms were targeted at problems we were having like the long lines and that's you know they have been successful uh, but we need to keep pushing we need to keep making this better i think we should be one of the highest voter turnout states right now we're kind of in the middle of the pack and uh, that's not good enough i think we could do a lot better we wanted to ask you about the recent Supreme Court decision. Um, they sided with the way our state um, updates its voter rolls. Um, the state begins to purge the registration of voters who have not cast a ballot over a two-year period. Obviously, there was a huge fight over this. Um, basically, what this law means is if you only vote in presidential races, you have to, if you only vote every four years, you have to re-register, you know, um, every time you vote um mm -hmm. basically you know it's been um a few weeks i know you put out a statement immediately after but you know how have you sort of digested this news and the decision well it was a deeply deeply disappointing decision and it was one of these you know end of the supreme court term five four controversial decisions and i think it's unfortunate that we were even at the supreme court i mean all of these appeals of pro-voter decisions that we've seen just drag these issues out and cost the state a lot of money uh, when you know we won in the lower court so it's it's been frustrating uh, one of the things that i think is not as understood about this issue it is kind of a highly technical uh, issue how this purging happens but one we are talking about the purging of infrequent voters you know not voters who've passed away or who moved out of state those processes are fine and are in law now and should continue this case was about purging people because they miss a few elections the good news about this court decision that is very disappointing to me is what the court said is this type of purging is allowable under the National Voter Registration Act, uh, but it is not required. So for me, this decision has made this race even more important because it is up to the Secretary of State in Ohio whether to continue this process or not. I will stop this process on day one uh, of, of being Secretary of State if I am able to have that incredible honor of, of serving and you know hopefully that's the way we move forward as a state rather than continuing to lead the country in canceling people's voter registrations that's just not where we should be and it's not a process that i think makes sense and it's not one that i would continue you know there's been a lot of talk in recent months about gerrymandering and reforming the way we draw district lines in the state um, in Ohio, despite recent reforms, um, elected officials are still in charge of drawing the map. Um, in several other states, um, it's the lines are drawn in a more nonpartisan manner. Um, 
you know, as Secretary of State, you'll have a seat at the table in 2021 to redraw the state's legislative lines, the state house districts. Um, why should politicians be in charge of the way we draw congressional and legislative lines? Well, the reason they're in charge in Ohio is because that has been the process for a hundred plus years. And one thing that I have noticed about uh, redistricting and fixing gerrymandering it is it is really hard to do and hard to do uh, kind of all in one swoop. So what I think, uh, I'm very excited about what happened uh, in the May primary with passing issue one and taking that first step uh, towards making our redistricting process fairer. Uh, but, but I think there are ways that we could continue to improve it. And one of the ways I think we should look at is getting politicians out of the process, uh, having politicians draw their own districts, I think offends a lot of voters and isn't the necessarily the model system. I think there are other states that uh, have gone to citizens commissions uh, or have you know come up with a much fairer process than what we have here in Ohio. And one thing that I'd like to do as Secretary of State is to continue uh, to push for the the best reform uh, that we can get and and you know to keep keep moving forward uh, as a state and, and how we draw these districts. So it could be a process where uh, it isn't politicians. And, you know, I'm certainly very open to that. So in your mind, the sort of issue in, in May that was passed, that's a first step. Do you see, um, do you think more reforms need to be done about the way we, we draw our lines here in Ohio? I do. I think that uh, it was an important first step, but I think that, we can do better. I mean, we can build on that important first step. And what I would say is one thing we have to think about heading into this 2018 election is who is committed to drawing fair districts. And it's still a partisan process in Ohio. So we want to make sure our elected officials say that they want to bring fair districts to our state so hopefully you know this works we do have a better system in place but then again when i you know would have a statewide platform as secretary of state you know i think that's a good place to push uh for even further reform i think i don't remember if it was you or mary that mentioned dark money earlier but i know one of the things that annoys me as a reporter is that you have the ability to basically have nonprofits make political contributions or uh, LLCs, and that as a reporter, it's impossible to find out where the money is actually coming from. Uh, so, w what do you think about the impact of dark money in politics, and what do you think Ohio should or can do about it? Well, first of all, one thing I'd like to do, and I I think this might be a positive for you and other reporters, is improve the Secretary of State's website. It is not easy to find uh, information about campaign contributions and to search it in a way that kind of you can see the whole picture, who is really uh, on the whole, you know, participating in uh, big contributions to to candidates, to parties, to other committees. I mean, it's, it's, it's complicated, and we need to make that more transparent. As far as the dark money goes, I, you know, I couldn't agree more, Andrew, with 
you know, the frustrating dark money situation in Ohio. I've introduced legislation that would require uh, those entities to disclose their donors. Uh, I, I think that's a big loophole in Ohio law. And while we can't stop uh, the, the flow of money because of the Citizens United decision, we can certainly increase the transparency. And we're not doing all that we can now. And we are seeing, you know, a huge influence of this dark money in our political campaigns, whether it be candidates for office or whether it be the ballot issues uh, that are put before Ohioans and the you know tens of millions of dollars that get spent. Ohio deserves to know, uh, and and my legislation, it's called the Disclose Act. It's modeled on federal legislation. Uh, would increase that transparency and make those donors public so Ohio knows who's spending in their elections. So in Ohio, we can register to vote online, right? And, and we can also update yes. our registration online. You can't vote online. And I know that's something that's sort of been talked about here and there, but it's not necessarily something that's on like the agenda right now. What, what do you think about online voting? We are not there yet with, with technology and security uh, to do online voting. We have... Uh, online voter registration. Uh, we have different parts of the, of the interaction a voter has with their um, board of elections or like electronic poll books. We're able to do some things uh, with with technology that are big improvements. I don't think we're at the place where voting is one of them. And what we are actually seeing states do is move away from electronic voting and go to paper-based voting systems because of the intense uh, security threats that exist out there uh, with electronic voting systems and uh, because of the need to, I think, ensure uh, for voters that the system is secure, that there's a ballot that they can see, touch, and you know, know is in the ballot box and is going to be counted. And I hope Ohio uh, moves towards a uh, paper ballot system. Some counties already have that, and I know uh, Cuyahoga is one of them, but some counties are still using electronic machines and electronic voting. And I think in this case, the old-fashioned way is the most secure and the best way forward for now. And it's certainly something that we can keep an eye on and think about for the future. But for the voting process itself, uh, I, I don't think we're there yet, and I don't think we should be there yet. We got to make sure these elections are as secure as possible, and that's what I'll want to do as Secretary of State. So part of the experience of running in a down ballot race is you basically kind of have to like wave your hands around and try to get people <laughs> to pay attention to you. Um, how, how do you have your voice heard and how, how do you actually move the needle as, as somebody given that's sort of like the below that you're operating in? Well, the exciting part of being one of the statewide candidates is we're a team. We are in this together. I'm really impressed with our ticket. I think our top of the ticket uh, really drives uh, people's excitement, energy about the race. And, you know, 
one of the best campaigners in the entire country is our current U.S. Senator, Sherrod Brown. So I'm glad he is part of this effort. I think Richard Cordray and his record of protecting consumers and uh, fighting for Ohioans is strong. And I think that those two will be uh, great leaders of a strong ticket. And I just want to, one, get my name out there, get the importance out about this particular office, and also be part of a strong ticket. You know, I'm the woman candidate on the ticket. I am the youngest candidate on the ticket. And I come from a district uh, that Trump won. And, you know, what do I have unique uh, from the other candidates? You know, we all kind of bring something to the ticket. And I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can to show we have that uh, represented. And we're thinking about uh, women and and young voters and, uh, you know, how to bring some of these uh, voters who voted for Trump and also voted for President Obama back into uh, the fold. I hope to be uh, a strong part of doing that as a very strong ticket. And again, we're a team, and I'm really proud to be a part of that team. So that's something that we talk about a lot is you mentioned bringing Obama voters voters back into the fold. I know that after the election in 2016, I sort of wrote a story wondering if Ohio is still a swing state. And you just kind of hear like this national conversation about whether the Democrat should pull out of the Midwest and focus elsewhere or like what, you know, is it permanently lost and that whole thing. Um, uh, what do you think Democrats need to do to remain relevant in Ohio? And is, is there anything that they can do a better job, um, you know, and specifically? Yes, I think that uh, what we are going to have to really work to do in this midterm election is get our Democratic voters out to vote. They're not uh, as good at voting in midterm election years. And there are some great signs out there that there is a lot of energy in our party and for our ticket, people kind of showing up at events in large numbers, people participating online from all areas of the state, just kind of a buzz and an energy that is different from what I've seen in the past in a midterm election year. So I think this year, you know, we really have to, to get our Democrats to realize that, you know, presidential elections are important and midterm elections are important. I think we can do that. I don't think that this state has, you know, fallen off the map for national Democrats. We sent Barack Obama to the White House. Ohio decides presidents, and it's an important state. And I think that we have the power to, you know, really show that in this midterm election. And it's going to be about getting our message out and getting our voters out. So if we were to ask you, what are you going to see yourself doing in eight years? You would say finishing my second term as secretary of state. So we'll we'll bring it out to 10 years. Uh, What what do you see yourself doing 10 years from now? And do you have any other future political ambitions? Have you ever thought about that? I am really pretty focused on making this very big jump from being a state representative in the 75th district in Portage County to a statewide elected official. It is 
It is a big state, more so, I think, than I ever realized as running as a statewide candidate. So I am focused on 2018. I don't mean to make this sound like every politician answers this question that way. If there's a reason they all say it. It's a good answer. <laughs> but I will say, you know, I, I'm so excited to be in this race, and I can't, I can't get myself past uh you know, this critical, important election. And I hope to to be the next Secretary of State and, you know, having conversations with you guys for a long time about, you know, how we're going to fix the elections in our state and engage with voters in our state and take back our state. So I went to uh, two Indians games in the last week. I was uh, there on Wednesday when they beat the Reds like 20 to 1 or something crazy like that. Um, and then on Sunday, they lost the Yankees five to four. So I guess like it feels that the Indians have a hard time against better competition and they're kind of inconsistent. Uh, do, do you have any general predictions about the Cleveland Indians this year? Well, I'm a pretty big tribe fan and I'm feeling good about where we are. Uh, it's exciting to have all our all stars head into DC for the all star game coming up. And I think we could. I think we could win it all this year. I'm a diehard Cleveland sports fan, so let's uh, let's be rooting for the tribe and see a little more consistency in the second half of the season and get our bullpen uh, healthy and a little bit more consistent. And I think we have a real shot at it. And I probably won't be at as many games as I usually would, uh, being that I'm running a statewide campaign, but I'll be cheering them on and certainly – uh, watching how they're doing and rooting for them. Yeah, hopefully when it comes to be election time, they're still in it, you know, because that means they're basically about to win the World Series. <laughs> that's, <potentially>. a good, <laughs> that's exactly right. I like the thought of that. And I uh, got to go to a World Series game uh, when we were in the World Series, and I certainly would like to go back and, and see us win. And uh, this is an exciting team to watch. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Kathleen. It was great to be with you guys. Thank you so much. And uh I love podcasts, so I'm really glad to, to get a chance to hear yours and see you guys do this. Thanks for having me on.